With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Good morning, Redmond. Good morning, Patrick. It's uh, been a pretty good week in fishing right around the country uh unless you're in new south wales and covered in a little bit of water because what about that what have they done in new south wales <laughs> i tell you what they've walked every new south welshman they've walked under a mirror and accidentally crushed a black cat because yep. the, the the natural disasters that have occurred over the past like stretching back to 2019 when there was the horrific fires that, that pretty much everyone's forgotten about now because of what the global pandemic that happened, you know, and then the rain straight after too. it. Like people are still recovering from that. Yet there's this latest natural disaster that's being declared. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's a, a lot of water, and I know we've said it's great to clean out rivers and whatnot, but I think they've been well and truly cleaned out, Pat, oh because the amount of water to fall out of the sky, uh, the, like record amount. I actually witnessed a on the news during the week, not that I'm a news watcher, but I happened to turn it on and there was a horse walking through the water and it was <laughs> literally, yeah, well, swimming, walking, but it was up, up to it, like just below its mouth, like a horse stands quite tall, if you didn't know, Pat. So that's like just in a normal, on a normal road, like it's, you don't, until you see the pictures, you don't, oh, a bit of rain, oh, harden up a bit, but when you see a horse up to its uh, nostrils in water, trying to walk through a road that was a road, it's, uh, it sort of wakes you up a bit to see how much rain they've actually had. Unbelievable. Disgusting. The other uh, natural disaster, or, or whatever the opposite to natural disaster is, that uh, Land Cruiser enthusiasts, the 300 series uh, orders, the wait time and production times now mm. are years, not months. Quite extraordinary given how the production capacity just is in no way capable of matching the demand for these cars. And if you're looking the second-hand market at the moment, you're looking north with all models, 100 grand plus. It's quite astonishing to see uh, <laughs> the Japanese, obviously Japanese-owned uh, Redmond, the brand saying, apology for the suspension of order. Thank you for considering our vehicle. Land Cruise has been very well received, not only in Japan, but in other countries around the world. We are currently suspending orders because we've received orders that greatly exceed our production capacity. Now, this links obviously to the, the chip shortage that we're seeing worldwide. So a lot of <laughs> car manufacturers are experiencing this, but Wait times in Australia already 20 reportedly months. twenty months. Yeah. So what happens from here though? Does uh, prices keep going up 
like so you know just a standard yes just your v your v6 land cruiser that have been selling for say 104 i think just, it was starting at yeah. yeah like ridiculous amounts of money yes for cars. yes do they just go up again well like the, the old V6 Saharas. We're not, when I say old, they're only last year's model, but like a year... You're looking at... There's, there's plenty of those, like 200 grand plus. Yeah. Are they just going to the go, they gonna go up more and more? Well, they can, but I think I, I, from my understanding, there was... They were putting some mechanisms in place. This is, this is Toyota National around um, price hiking from dealerships. Now, yeah, delivery did, yeah. fee is, is the interesting one. I think... Car suppliers, so your car yards, whatever, uh, they're able to put a delivery fee that that can pretty much be anything. We've seen that with the Corvettes in Australia. I think Corvettes are around one sixty their new model this year, um, and yet you're seeing you know forty thousand dollar delivery fees depending on you know what dealership you're using. So I think the price hikes there are hard to manage, but certainly the challenge being with some of these dealerships, and it's pretty dodgy, but what they've done is they've driven them on roads and then they're charging them out as either like a used yeah, car, but, car, but it's 30 grand more than what your retail is. But, you know, how do you, how do you guard against it? I think the, the other thing will be is those that do have orders in that will have first access to these cars, there was discussions around limiting the ability to then on sale after you've purchased them. But I think that will be quite difficult to police in the Australian market. We've seen it overseas. We're seeing it with with Ford uh, and their Lightning uh, and their Lightning Pro, which I think is released slated for 2023, that you won't be able to on sale or there's mechanisms around safeguarding that. So... Know, to, to protect against the price hike. So it's a it's an interesting space at the moment. Quite clearly, um, you drive around any card yard at the moment, Redmond, they're all bare. It's yeah, unbelievable. Well, like, Car and I bought that new car, what, say in April, a few months back, and... Mitsubishi, the Outlander? Yeah, we bought Outland- the Outlander, and yeah. it was... I'm not joking, it was... We got so lucky, we walked in, and they were all around that, uh, like, four to eight-month wait, depending on the model, and... We didn't want it, we want didn't want top of the range model. We didn't want bottom of the range model because we have kids and we know things get destroyed quickly. But we also wanted to have a couple of things in the car that, that we wanted, like the air extra air vents and whatnot. And then just we got so lucky, we w- literally walked into a dealership and a person's finance fell through the that ten minutes before we walked in. They literally said, "Well, if you pay for this, put a deposit down on this car now. You can literally have that this one's car." Available. And the chances of you actually getting a car normally. Normally, you would never believe a salesman telling you salesman telling you no. that little particularly pitch there. a car salesman, especially a car salesman. <laughs> you normally say, "Right, oh, he is talking a load of rubbish here." We don't have research. Doesn't exactly <laughs> invoke like the most amount of trust when you walk into a car dealership. This is the only one left, <laughs> apart from the building next door. There's 300 available, but yeah. in this room. This is, is the only one available. In your colour. Like in it's, your colour. <laughs> and well, this is the thing. We actually got the car in our colour. It was probably, it was the middle range. It was about right. It was pretty much what we were after. And literally looked at car and I said, all right, we've just got to pull the trigger on it. Like we've, got no, we've been looking for three months, like as in trying to find her the car she wanted as a family sort of car. Yeah. And we'd done our research. I said, the longer you wait it, that's just more months, more months. And it went from being a three to four month wait to an eight month just by waiting those couple of months while we're deciding yeah. our cars. And so yes. mo- most people say, take your time in buying something. Don't take your time in buying a new car. <laughs> but we ended up buying it and there was nothing. We could barely test drive a car because it was just, no like, there was no demo. Like, oh no, we've got a demo in this model, but no, nah, that the model, well, 
I'm I want to, I want to I'm test actually, something out. I'm not actually interested in the two <laughs> door model, mate. I've, I've got two kids. Uh, yeah, I want a door with a car with four doors. So yeah, it was. Uh, the market's out of control. Uh, the twenty twenty three Land Rover Defender price and specs have been released. There's been a price rise right across the range of up to nearly six grand. Uh, in some of the models with some features no longer available. Once again, because it's that slightly, it's an eight-seater now, the 130, um, they're priced from 124 onwards. So once again, we're talking we're talking a seriously expensive car, but it has been uh, Land Rover's most successful it looks cool. model. It, it looks, looks fantastic, it looks cool. but... That's a that's a that's an expensive car. So, uh, the car industry continues to be under significant pressure. Redmond, um, we're interested in it because of the towability of the vehicles. But when it comes to fishing, and let's get into it. Hold now. on a second. I've just gone into the article you've sent me about that. Yes, I've got a lady pop up in the right hand corner to try and sell you advertise sell me a car. Do you reckon they're they're not real though? I'll just should I ask her back and. Is there one available for three years? <laughs> <laughs> At less than a hundred and thirty grand. <laughs> All right, I'll let it go. I'll hit X on that bit. Where are we up to? I, Sorry, I can get a twelve foot aluminium boat for that. <laughs> um, twelve foot aluminium boat. <laughs> well played. Your weekend fishing. Oh, Let's yeah. talk about it because we've discussed over the last few weeks. We keep getting reports of really big whiting. You keep talking about them. We've had a lot of feedback. Can you talk us through the? From start to finish, the planning, the big trip, the gear that you use, where you're catching them. If you don't have the ability to fish for these in a boat, where's a good place to start um, from land? So let's talk big whiting. So big whiting, just big whiting. That's what you want? No small stuff? I want those big just bangers. The, bi- the big bangers. Like forearm sort of thing. Right, kidney slap. But my, uh, my forearm, not yours, because then we'd be looking at the... They have gotten probably throw those back. They have gotten pretty small, haven't they? <laughs> I got a tattoo done on my arm a little while ago. I should have got my should have got it done now. They would have used half the amount of price. <laughs> half the price, sorry. <laughs> All right, big the whiting time. They been like, well, we can use a small pen for this. <laughs> they, and they did. <laughs> All right, where are we at? Uh, we're at big whiting. So let's talk Favourite time of the year is now. Yep, okay. It's my favourite time of the year, winter. Now, you will get big whiting through your summer months. Don't yep. get me wrong. But... You, the reason people tend to target big whiting through your winter months is to do the fact that, that there's not a lot of not a lot of, bleh, not a lot of other options available. Uh, I guess like there is through the summer months, you can go for a kingfish, you can go for a tuna, a gummy yep. shark, school shark, and there's flathead. still tuna at the moment. Oh, there the, is the still options. Is you're going to spend big hours on the water, and it's cold. It's going to be cold and windy. Yep. Versus. You're talking, if you get your timing right, you yep. don't have to be out on the water for a long period of time to have a really good. No, you, fishing. you don't. And I've been fishing with Finn, my son, quite a bit lately. He's only two. And just, I don't want to be out there for hours, but we're yeah. catching fish every time we go by specifically targeting those times. Now, big whiting, close to an ocean is the ideal ideal way to explain it. So, so if you're fishing in a lake, then you want, or an estuary rather, you want to be close you'd be, to You'd be doing well if you catch them in a lake. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be close to the mouth yep. where you're getting significant water movement. Traditionally, yes. yes. So, for example, Western Port Bay yep. is a place that you tend to catch those bigger whiting close to the ocean. Yep. Port Phillip Bay, where I do a lot of my work, down to the southern end of the bay is where you catch traditionally your bigger King George whiting. Don't get me wrong. You'll catch bigger, big whiting at times throughout the bays and up 
top of stuff, but I'm talking about on averages and how it works. And then you move into the ocean. So you've got places like out the front of where I live in the ocean, you get massive whiting. Out the front of your place, Mogs Creek, your dad loves catching his big whiting up down off the headlands up there. But they're spasmodic at best. They, like they you, can't, yeah, yeah. They, they, they are. And then you, fer- you push further into South Australia and whatnot, that's where your big King George whiting come from. Your oceans with islands yeah. as such. So we're talking, not necessarily islands, like we're talking just structure that hold those weed beds. The reason I say islands is just traditionally, you've got Tumby Bay, you've got beautiful big islands right around Tumby Bay. Got some and good reports this week in uh, in the Whipperand, actually. Tumby Bay. Tumby Bay. There you go. Big, well, decent fish I'm caught. tipping there'd be big whiting in there because it's the home of it. And how you want to target them is... You want to use slightly heavier leader because you, you're often going to be fishing those, like I said before, that weedy reefy area, not traditionally weedy sand. It's going to be sand mixed amongst it, but reef, big whiting will hold on these reefs. So I like to up my leader to that 15 to 20 pound rather than that sort of 12 to 15. Yep. So up and a bit, just so you don't bust your rigs off. The hook size for me generally goes up to a size four. So you can get away with the size three if you want. But size six worm hook is the one that I average use. But if I'm specifically fishing down south, I want a bigger gape in the hook because they've got quite a big mouth when they open their mouth. So especially like a 50-centimetre fish. So a slightly bigger hook. Squid is by far the dominant bait. With those school fish you get, pippies will tend to work really, really well. And don't get me wrong, the big fish will eat your pippies just as good. But if you can save your cost, the squid will work just as good as well, as if not better, than pippies. Uh, we're going real as fresh as we possibly can get when it comes to squid. Or what no, do you I'm like not phased. Not phased on it, to be honest with you. I, I'd like. I always like frozen bait, frozen squid. Sorry, yep. frozen squid for uh, for any species. I've spoken about this on the show. I love when you. Do you know when you freeze? We'll start from the start. You know when you catch a calamari and everything's quite clear on it, like you, the tentacles are clear, the tube's nice and clear. Where when you freeze it, you know how it brings out that white, white. dense white? Yep. Yeah, that real, real white. It's dense, quite dense. And that's what I like to use because vis- for the visibility side of things. I yes. reckon it definitely helps. So frozen bait. And now the number one thing that I could not strongly recommend is a burly cage. Burly cage with pilchards in it, it's smashing it up. Just smashing it up. With a mincer, well, I'll use the uh, baseball bat. I crunch it up, drop it down to the bottom, pull it up half a pull. If you're in a slower tidal area, so if you're in the ocean, bring it up a couple more pulls. But if you're in tide, keep it close to the bottom to have that burly trickle along the bottom as that tide rips past that burly cage. Because we knew we were going to discuss big whiting, we'd had a few questions with our uh, with our social club around burling and buying straight out of your BCFs, your anacondas, tackle worlds, um, whether it be tuna oil and then getting your pellets and then just throwing that in and why that isn't as good, Aaron, as actually putting the effort in and using... Like, okay. It should be self-explanatory enough, but you know, is that good enough when it comes to burling versus using you know, your, your skeletons and salmon, you know, your, your fish extras that you've caught on, on other trips? You know, why can't you go the simplest and most time-effective um, way of burling. In a non-tidal area, so a place like the ocean where the tide just trickles a little bit, you've got areas in the tide that pull hard. Even like a place like Clifton Springs, which is in Cryo Bay area, that there's non-tidal. So you'll probably get away with pallets and a few things that you've just suggested and shell, pippy shells and whatnot. Because the tide doesn't spread it out, it sort of falls and holds in that one area and you can hold fish there. But for me, I'll always stick to my pilchards. Yep. Now, I'll always stick to them. You so can, put the effort in. Yeah, just put the effort in to buy the pillies and, and smash them up. Like, if you start to use too much salmon and all that, I find 
when you use a big fleshy block, I know it comes out a certain rate, but once you get, you don't want rays and stuff coming in too. So if you start using, people go, oh, bluefin tuna makes great burly for whiting. Maybe a little bit of like, and I'm, when I say bluefin, I'm talking your offcuts, so your bloodlines and et cetera that you throw out. You don't want to waste it. So I use it for a bit of burley. You might chuck it in the freezer and chuck it in the pot next time, but I won't load that up with just pure tuna because the smell off tuna is so strong. I don't want rays and stuff coming and sharks just constantly coming through my burley cage yeah, to spook the gotcha. whiting. So I just find the pillies a happy medium. They do smell a bit. They break up nicely, but they also run out quite quick too. So you're not going to have it lingering for hours. So you've got to keep it on top of it, keep shaking it, keep updating a few handfuls of pillies into it every five minutes, sometimes 40 minutes, depending on how the fishing's going at the time. So... Just make sure when you're chasing them, you need your burly cage. You need a nice long leader if you're fishing tied. If you're not fishing tied, shorten it up a little bit so you've got a bit of feel. But always always an extended patnoster, so your hook's out the back of your, out the back of your sinker. I'm not a fan of pre-made rigs, uh, as in buying rigs off the market with a little yep. bit of fluffy stuff on the end of it. I'm not a fan of that. I don't think it catches you any more fish, and it costs you 10 bucks. So yeah. you can make one in three minutes and that's being conservative and three minutes and you can have the same rig or better and you know you've made it and it, it takes your stuff all time to do it and it's going to work rather than paying 10 bucks you cast it out and you bust one off on a rig oh there goes ten dollars and your first cast fishing on a reef because yep, so, it's, it's sat in the store for however long the loose you just don't know what you're buying gotten so, loose some and... stuff are fantastic don't get me wrong in the slightest but i still would never buy it oh, yep. it's not hard to tie a whiting knot it's literally you put a loop in your line and then you tie a hook on the end you can either join it with a swivel or in a in a uh, swivel or with a um, with a double uni knot at the end of it, and it's up to you. We'll finish off the end of this chat around catching big whiting in winter after the break. We've got a huge show of real adventures coming your way this morning. Uh, we've got the whip around. We'll find out what's biting in your part of the country. And Lee Rayner joins us to chat about some big winter trout. All that and more on Real Adventures this morning. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. We're chatting big winter whiting. Now, we are up to, and if you missed the first uh, start of the chat, first half of the show... Unlucky. You you can (laughs) head to uh, our Real Adventures website or our Real Adventures app and you can get all our podcasts or simply go to wherever you get your podcasts on uh, Apple Music iTunes, all that sort of stuff. We on all that? I think so. I've made it. You better be. Spotify, all there. Anyway. You probably just made that up. Big winter whiting. <laughs> We've gotten to the rig. We've finished that. Now what's the next yeah, step? So just that swivel. I don't use swivels. I use the double uni knot. But it's crucial to put the bait on properly because if you don't put your bait on properly, it'll spin. And if you don't use a swivel and just run a uni knot, it'll spin your whole leader up. Now, Aaron's spoken about this at length. Now, putting your bait on properly isn't about trying to pin it through the hook. Four million times until there is not a yep. scary of bait that is no longer not attached to a, to a hook. The way that these fish feed, you can pin it at the top, and then it almost moves like a bait fish, and that is all that you need. And if it's a whiting, you'll catch it. Yep. That's my theory on it. If it's a rubbish fish, quite often fishing this reef where we fish leather jackets and parrot fish, it'll have teeth marks out of your bait, and that's how you know it's rubbish fish. Yep. Whiting, which, which you didn't want to have to bring up anyway. No, I didn't. But it takes your fish. It takes the. It'll take the squid more often than. Sorry, it'll take. It'll a whiting will often. You nine times out of ten, you'll catch a whiting yep. if it bites. Uh, but if it's the rubbish and you're getting those picks and you can't hook it, you know it's not a whiting because you just know. Like the whiting, you'll catch and it won't. They won't just 
when you put your bait on a hundred times, the only thing it does is spin your your leaders, and you just spend more time trying to retie these rigs, and then trying to trying to I guess get it to sit in the water properly. There are a couple little methods, little tricks if you feel like you're getting smaller whiting, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about big whiting today, yeah. and if you just pin it once, you'll have no dramas. Uh, the next stage is getting your baits into sand holes, Pat. I think that's probably the most crucial. Fishing these reefy weed structures, you need to get your boat on a sand hole. Now, I've got a table in front of me that I'm looking at at the moment, and I probably want a sand hole maybe three times the size of this table. So this table's probably, a, it's about a metre yeah, circumference. metre and a half. Yep. So you want to cast into something, say, say yeah, say three by three, roughly, you, if you can get a sand hole amongst, bait, uh, amongst reef or weed, that's what you want to get your bait into. Number one, the whiting will be sitting on the edges of it, and they'll come into the sand to feed. Number two, the rubbish fish won't come out of the reef as far to get your baits. They will in times, but they won't. Once the tide gets going, or if the whiting are there, they won't come out. You'll tend to more just catch whiting. Not only that, snagging, etc. So when I'm fishing down south, I'll put people on marks, and they'll say, oh, we caught nothing. All we got was snags, snags, snags. I'll go and fish next to them, and they'll be off the mark by, say, 11, 12 metres, and I'll sit next to them, and I'll be whiting after whiting because yep. I'm on that sand hole. There's specific sand holes in certain areas. And I'm not a mark sort of person for certain fishing, Pat. Like, a lot of my marks up at St. Leonard's and in general areas, just general area. But specific ocean fishing amongst heavy reef, you must get on your marks. Use your eyes, sound up, visibility, whatever you need to do to find where these sand holes are, and you'll catch so many more whiting than what you will just plonking on top of a reef and getting snag after snag. So make sure you get your boat in the right spot. And that's pretty much the end all to catching these big whiting in the ocean and I guess at the bottom ends of your, uh, where the ocean meets the uh, bays and inlets, I should say. Beautiful work, Redmond. Next week, we're going to be focusing on big offshore gummy shark. Let's get to the whip around and find out what's biting in your part of the country. All thanks to J Co Sydney, your next great escape. Let the adventure begin with J Co Sydney, Redmond. Heading to New South Wales and... The rain is back, out of control. Like we spoke about at the start, not a heap of reports this week, but there was a massive school of salmon out of Marimbula that I've seen. Huge schools, not just one, multiple. And they were big fish, like one to three and a half kilos. So some thumping fish amongst them. Just cast those metals, get up nice and high on a headland, and you'll be able to see visually where these fish are. But the rain's going to play a massive effect now because... The water is just going to turn to poo, literally. It's How long gonna, is it going to take to clear? Oh, the way it's looking, I've got no idea. Not, I, not, I don't even think I can answer that. <laughs> not truth. within the next it's week. It's not looking good. So, And the rain, I think well, the whole week is predicted to have rain again too. So, I, I've, yeah, I don't know from that. But on a positive note, there was 150-odd kilo bluefin that was caught north of Burmy on the canyons. Now, that's a big fish, big bluefin tuna. And that could be the start of the run. I haven't heard of much more. I've seen a, some long liners that are getting fish out wide. But the run of the bluefin on the east coast, so the new south, southeast, east, southeast coast of New South Wales, I should say, uh, that's going to run soon. Uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts on? I, I used to, as a Victorian, go to New South Wales to target these big bluefin. Pat, I used to go to the shelf and travel hundred k's in a day out there to, to cube up these bluefin. But the way that it's unfolded here in Victoria, now I'm, I feel There's a little not bit sorry for New South Wales. Yeah. No, I don't think it's going to have the same. I guess I don't know the, ever, the, the like, draw card. The, yeah, of, the drive for me to go the there. Up. I've got no, yep. in, I've got no interest in doing driving ten hours to Eden or to or Burmy. You, you do have different weather though. I suppose if you go there, you're going to get slightly warmer than say reversing it 
where you've been to Port Mac over the last few weeks. Well, I, I reckon I would rather drive to Port Mac, which is four and a half from my joint, and fish five kilometres from the boat ramp. I agree with that. Then drive to... Ten Perth, hours. And then another two and a half, two hours, it could potentially be just to get on the other side of the shelf off a place called Eden. Yep, I so agree I don't, I don't know what it's going to do. Anyway, we won't go into that too much. WA, some huge mackerel getting caught out of the Montebello Islands and big sand whiting caught in Carnivon, and they were caught on little poppers and worms. And they were really. We love that. We love a bit of hard body action for some. You do. You do. Shane Menforce does. I say his name right. I say his name right. Perfect. Happy with my work there. Speaking of Shane, uh, South Australia. We've mentioned just straight off the top here. Port Mac barrels are on fire now. My question. They're still the best place, right? You know, throughout the entire country. If you want big game fish, it's ridiculous. That's where to go at the moment. How long can it go for? I've written it there. Like how long? This is. I was speaking to a friend during the week because we were thinking about going up. This week, but I can't be bothered, which is how bad is that? Like, we've had such a good season. I literally can't be bothered going right now. Uh, well, you don't have that same urge because it's no, like, well, I've caught, I, I've caught a lot of fish. <laughs> it's not like I've missed out. have not missed it, but it is hard seeing people up there getting threes. You're like, oh, I want to go. And then you realise <laughs> you're going to drive four and a half and pay for accommodation and pay for fuel. It adds up. But how long can it go for? It's been months upon months already. Like, it's been four months of yeah. just consistently good fishing. Like, the odd couple of days that are quiet over a moon maybe here and there or when there's boat traffic. But other than that, it's just been red hot. Tumby Bay, there's we've been good reports of some decent size whiting. It is, once again, wind and weather dependent. But that's fishing most of the time. But if you've um, if you're bothered to go out there, there's some great fishing to be had at the moment as well. There is a bit of a problem with the whiting fish at the moment. And I'm hearing two different aspects of it. The bloodworm run. Now, you're a South Australian, sort of. Yeah, the bloodworm. Eight years. That explains a lot. Explains a lot. Blood <laughs> bloodworm run. Have you heard of it before? No. So I didn't know much about it, but I did a bit of reading. Now it's just basically a type of ocean worm that yep. plague in plagues in the ocean. They, they come in and they just when I say plague, like it's an understatement. Like there's thousands and millions and billions of them. Like it's just out of control. Some people are saying how much it affects the whiting squid fishing because they just absolutely thrive on these and it's nearly impossible to to actually catch fish because they're just always full because they just eat, 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 eat at their own leisure. But others... And they're, and they're thick things as well. They're a big thing yeah. and they're a big creature and they're, and they're an unbelievable bait for basically every single species. Everything eats these things. And I'm hearing other words, people saying, I've never had a drama catching fish when the blood worm, worm run runs because... They're just feeding like crazy. Yeah, so I'm hearing multiple about. reports. So if you are an angler out there that has actually experienced this, send something into us via our social media pages, Real Adventures on Instagram or Facebook, because I'd love to hear from you on your opinion on this, because I haven't experienced it. You're a fake South Australian, so you haven't either. Is it is it a good time to go and like try and stuck up? Stuck Stick it. Let's stock up <laughs> on the blood work. I reckon it would be. I've seen uh, they'd, yeah, have to fr- they'd have to freeze well. 100%. That have to. If you are interested, um, personal uh, daily bag limits of four litres. That's, that's it's a lot of milk. It's, an, it's just an interesting way of... I can't stand how they say... It's like it's like they say 10 litres of mussels. It's an interesting way of... of um, you know how to use it? Take something of that of that uh, value. So how we do it, we take if we're taking something that's valued at, say, 10 litres, we take a 10-litre bucket. That's how we do it. Yeah, right. So it's 10 litres. Um, Does that make sense? 
It does. Yeah. Uh, Port no longer jetty as well, Redmond. There's been uh, salmon up to three kilo caught there. We're, really dr- nice we're, we're really dragging this report out, so I've got, Sorry. To, I've got to hurry up here. Uh, Bluefin, Eaglehawk next game. Well, Queensland, some huge Cobia caught out of Harvey Bay right now. Cobia, I landed that cracker there. That, that, time. that was a nice <laughs> fish. That was a fish uh, of a lifetime. Taylor are going very well on metals on the beaches out the front of the Tweed as well. And we spoke about that recently. Just find those gutters sort of either side of the Tweed and you'll, you'll catch... Uh, you'll catch Plenty of Taylor at the moment. They're literally in really good numbers, so get amongst those. Uh, are we got time for the social club? We no, well, we do, but let me just finish off the. I need the outro. Okay, apologies. That was the whip around. <laughs> All thanks to J.K. Sydney. Your next great escape. Let the adventure begin. Let it begin with J.K. Sydney. Now you can go to the social club. Righto, where we take your questions from social media. <laughs> so make sure you do send them in because we do love your questions, uh, Patrick. Love and engaging. We'll do our. We do. We will uh, do our best to. Uh, Answer these questions for yourself. Uh, Patrick, you want to take it away? Yeah, boys. Any tip for chasing the winter reds in Port Phillip Bay? Thanks, Trent. Now, we spoke probably a month ago. You caught some really nice snapper, but you haven't been uh, fishing for them since in, in with, with big time can on answer, the water. Can I just answer this? Just don't do it. It's too cold. Yeah. <laughs> are they there? Yeah, they are there. Uh, not something. I did this heaps as a kid. Yep. Heaps. I used to make dad back me in at sort of 5pm and pick me up at 10pm. It's always a night thing for me around a full moon. That's gotcha. when I like to do it. Yep. Uh, I used to get some thumping, big snapper. So if, now, so your advice is fish them at night? Fish them at night you know, around the moons. That's my idea. And on a tide change around the full moon or new moon. That's what I like to do. Uh, just your normal baits. Squid, squid will, I, in my opinion, will be your best bait through the winter months. But in also my opinion, it is hard to do. It yep. is hours upon hours and then you might have one good night where you get one two or three fish they could be big though yeah eight to twelve kilo like big proper fish like big fish fish of a lifetime so it is worth doing but it is cold and it's not that rewarding until you get a fish which sometimes you might i know a friend that fished the whole winter last year and consistently fished him who has done well in previous years, did not catch a single winter bit red, like a decent red. It's hard work. work. Very good good luck, Trent. Give us a a bell and let us know how you went or go. Uh, When pumping bass yabbies, what are you actually looking for? I wouldn't mind getting the kids out and getting some bait. Cheers, Lee. Now, this works well because it's just off the back of the school holidays. They're wrapping up this weekend. Um, Thank what are you God, looking? I'm struggling to get around the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> what are you looking for uh, when you do hit the beach in search of bass yabbies? Just uh, you want to find holes, bass yabby holes or sandworm holes. That's what you want to find. So, to the naked eye, is it? Are we talking like pencil width? Like, aren't we? Go your pinky finger and have a look at your nail. That's probably the size of it. That's probably a good example. That's the size of the holes, and you'll quite often see next to them. You'll have like where they've actually dug the little spit of sand, yeah, don't you? just yeah. like the little offcuts. We'll call it off the side yeah. of where they've been digging. So that's the, the excavation. Uh, the excavation work, as Finn will say, digger. He loves his uh, diggers. Do your kids like diggers? Love them. I don't. Love what's them. the obsession with it? Actually, George is into guns at the moment. We're off track here. My kids like swords from Ninja Turtles. <laughs> We're off track. Um, the bass yabbies are fantastic bait for everything. Yep. Whiting, brim, like all those estuary sort of fish as well. So even trevally, all that, all the likes along there. They're a tremendous bait. They can be hard to get on hooks at times, very hard to get on hooks, but they work really, really well. They're so productive. You yep. can get, you can catch so many fish with them. Well worth it if you want to catch more fish than your mate next year who's gone down and bought a bag of pippies. They will catch more fish. But once again... It is cold, waiting up to your knees at times. 
uh, get a shopping basket. Don't take one from Bunnings like I did. I mean, don't take one from Bunnings because they, they work really well, the Bunnings ones, Pat. You can uh, push the sand through them, shake the it. The complaints for this show come from the comments that you make. But it's valuable. <laughs> so make sure you pump your Bastiabies into a basket. Give it a shake. The sand and whatnot will pull through. You can also buy a sift from the supermarket that works just there we as go. good, Pat. There we go. <laughs> and uh, you know, Safeway's profiting. But it's uh, you can shake it and your Bastiabies will end up in there and put them in a bucket and a bit of water. I've had them stay alive, alive for nearly a couple of days. So they're, they're, they're pretty hardy at times, but they're also... Uh, I'd have to say the best bait for all estuary species. Beautiful work. That wraps the social club. We take your questions from social media. Send us in a direct message. Put a comment on uh, on any of the photos. We'll post them. We'll do our very best to get back to you. Plenty more real adventures after the break. We're catching up with Lee Rayner from Fishing Edge. All aboard for Dometic. Make your next adventure effortless with the Dometic Go Collection. Just pack, stack and go. It's time for All Aboard for Dometic. Go on your next adventure at Dometic.com. Our special guest this morning is Lee Rayner, host of Fishing Edge. For, for more information on Fishing Edge, head to www.fishingedge.com.au. The problem is we talked to Ray Lee off air. I reckon if we actually recorded our off-air chat, we'd get more listeners because it is pretty funny. We end up talking rubbish, and I, I try to make sense with an intro that just goes up shit creek really quickly. I somehow compared trout to a plastic bag. You compared me to a crap wine. And here yeah. we have Lee. Good morning. How <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, are you, boys? We're good now. We've got you on. And we've, Can you straighten we've, we've us out? Ke- we've got to keep it PG. Whilst we have you on oh, air versus okay. off air. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think if people heard our off air conversations, they'd just be like, you guys need help, like proper help. I don't think they need to uh, hear us off air. I think they all <laughs> <laughs> think we do anyway. Lee, the shit canning that you were getting before we, we got you on about your Lego. Instead and, of fishing. And I stuck up for you, for, for those unaware. Thank you. Had to Lego, man. If you head to Lee's Instagram page, there's a cracking photo of uh, of some Lego, and I'm a bit of a Lego geek. Aaron's clearly not. Hence you why. clearly are, Lee. Um, yeah, 100%. Do you know why Aaron's not a Lego geek, though? It's just because it's way too far above him. Like, he'd struggle <laughs> with Duplo. So, <laughs> I can't argue. You're the you're the age three. The reason I was into him into your league is because I was about to I was scrolling through your Instagram to go through your latest plastic bag captures and yeah, uh, and Patrick's a Lego lover, love it. But uh, I did. I must admit, I did uh, appreciate the trout that you've been catching with your partner. Take us through when yeah. you've been fishing lately and a bit of damage you've been doing on the lakes. Yeah. So winter time, cold weather. I love my trout fishing, grew up doing it, boys. But um, I like fishing the Western District Lakes in Victoria. So obviously your Purrum Beach, your Bull of Merai and all that. But there's there's heaps of great lakes around. And, and I've been fishing um, Tullaroop, which is way out past Ballarat. And um, and I like that lake because it's just like Jindabyne, which is what I grew up fishing. And there's seriously big fish in there. And that's why I like those Western District Lakes. There's big trout. There's big red fin. You're not... You're not going there for numbers. You're going there for quality. And, and we got lucky enough. Well, when I say we, Bronnie got lucky enough to catch a, a seven-pound brown there a few weeks ago. So and that this, makes this trip thing like that worth 63 it. centimetres, Lee. Like, this is yeah. a monster. Yeah, big fish. And, and these, these things carry the weight, Paddy. They've got – because they feed on 
in those western lakes, they're all full of smelt and minnow and all that. So these fish just stack on the condition like really, really well. Um, so they they weigh more than they probably should for their size. And that fish in the photo, you can see it's just fat from, from head to tail, just in absolute prime condition. How much work do you do with the sounder in, in finding these fish as well, Lee? Because one of the things that um, you're really well known for is the use of technology, how you embrace it, but using it in the correct way. Is that a big part of, around fishing for trout? Like his, Lego, like, like his Lego car, good with technology. That's for technology, which I know nothing about. Um, now I use my sounder flat out, boys, like flat out, and it, it's like it's like Aaron when he's tuna fishing. You dial in on the little things. Yes, there's the big obvious things, but it's the little things. I'm always looking at what the bottom's doing. I'm looking at water temperature because water temperature can vary quite a lot, even in a freshwater lake, from one side to the other, from all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, like it's interesting that that those fish I've been catching there in my last two trips. 80% of the fish I've caught have come in a 300-metre stretch of the lake. So that's I'm just the, working that, back. And, that's where the sewerage runs, Lee. That's exactly right, <laughs> mate. I, think, I don't care what's pouring in there. If that's where the fish are, that's where I'm going to be. So, um, But that's what it's about. I just sort of, you know, you find that one little bit that looks a little bit different. Yeah, there's, you're marking a few more fish there, but, but what was holding these fish in this part of the lake, it was actually like a little bit of a choke point that was sort of between two two points up against the old riverbed. And it just, it's an area that sort of confines the fish. And if I'd probably put it into a more layman's term for a saltwater fisherman, it's just like you do, Aaron and Paddy, when you're offshore fishing for those gummies, you're fishing those contour lines and you'll find a drop off, right? But then you try and find that bit of a point or something that juts out, which it's basically like an intersection that the fish have to hit and then go around. And these trout are doing exactly the same thing. You've got uh, on your social media here of your Simrad with your downrigger. So you're obviously downrigging yep. for these fish. How are you yes. actually targeting these fish off your downrigger? So there's there's a lot of guys just say they don't like trolling because it's not active. But when I'm downrigging, mate, I am constantly changing the depth of my downrigger bomb, which is changing the depth of my lure. And that's the great thing about a downrigger. If I see a fish at you know, I'm at 10 metres and I see a fish down at 13, I can just lower the bomb down to 12 or 13 metres and my lure's behind the bomb. I generally put my lure about 20 feet behind the bomb and that lure then pulls down in front of the fish and it's just a very, very active way of, of targeting them. But the other thing that trout love to do is they love to come up and look at the bomb. So if I see a fish come up and look at the bomb and you'll see this line come up, I'll actually generally raise the downrigger bomb a metre or two and then that makes that lure shoot up a metre or two, change action, move a bit faster, do whatever, and that gets you a lot of bites just doing that. Lee, there's a bit of a misconception around using downriggers that it's only for experts, but the beauty of it is you mentioned depth. Because it can be so accurate, if you're just yep. getting into trout fishing, it's a, it's a perfect way and something to add to your your, your fishing library because – it's simple yeah, to use. Mate, it is so simple to use. And I feel more confident, Pat, having two rods out if I've got one on a downrigger just because I know I've got one that I can put it wherever I need to put it. But I also know that my lure is at an exact depth and that's, that's often important. You know, if I know that I want my lure to be, you know, I'm fishing 20 foot of water and I want that lure to be two foot off the bottom, I can I can sit that downrigger bomb, know that that lure pulls three feet deep below that bomb you know, I'll set my, my downrigger to basically, say, 15 feet and know that my lure is very, very close to the bottom. So it's a really precise way of fishing. But 
for kingfish, for marlin. Like everyone sends sinker baits down and drifts around hoping to try and catch a marlin. You mark a marlin at 50 metres. If you've got a downrigger set at 45, you get the bite every single time because you're also pulling the bait. You're not drifting it slowly. You're pulling that bait or lure past the fish and he's got to react to it. So you get a better bite out of him. Dumb question. What lure are you running on the back of the downriggers for these trout? Like, are you mixing it up? Yeah, yeah what's yeah. the... Like, oh, flat out. Like, I'll, I'll, I should put a photo up of after a day's trout fishing, the lures that are sitting on the back deck. Yeah. Um, yep. Like, I'm always changing lures. It breaks my heart to say it. They are such a good lure, and I've caught thousands of trout on them over the years. But I hate using pink Cassie Devil because yeah. it's a bright pink lure that just should not work. And it does. What do you reckon that big? <laughs> what do you reckon that big brown trout is? Yeah, I've, like, I, I haven't done a super a lot amount of trout fishing, but I've all my trout have literally been on Tassie Devils. Devils. Yeah. <laughs> you feel like, like you, just, you need something yeah. that's like more imitation or but oh, they're just fancy and cool. Yeah. Like. Yeah. <laughs> oh god! Oh, so frustrating. But look, the other one I'm doing a lot of at this time of year because we're coming into that that spawning period. So the fish are aggressive more so, like where they can be aggressive. And so a smaller lure will get a food bite out of them. A big, big, big lure will get a aggression bite out of them, like they're actually grabbing that lure basically to say, get out of my way because they yeah. see it as a threat. So 18-centimetre original Rapalas, 11-centimetre Rapalas, things like that, like big, big lures. So, um, And it's interesting, quite often on the downrigger with the rod loaded up, it's bent over with the line going out of the clip. You'll see with a very big lure, you'll see the rod tip bounce and it's actually a big trout nudging the lure, basically saying, get out of the way, like get out of here. And they'll nudge it four or five times, and then they just smash it. So that's good fun, because you know when a fish eats an 18-centimetre lure, it's going to be a good one. <laughs> um, but the other one that's two boys, like those lakes are full of redfin, and there's some monster red, like you're talking over 50 centimetres in them. Um, and with the downrigger, I can get my lures down deep, but in a lot of the point, I can keep them over the schools of redfin. Like you'll mark a bunch of reddies and you'll be like, oh, quick, lift that downrigger like three metres and you can keep your lure above them so yeah. so you catch less of them. Um, so that's the other bonus to, to running a downrigger. I just think they're a great piece of gear. You can run your burly pot off them when you're whiting fishing. You can do you can do heaps of stuff. We, don't, we do not use downriggers enough in this country because there's so many forms of fishing that you can use them for. That they Everyone, everyone overseas uses them flat out. We just don't. Yeah. Hey, Lee, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We always love uh, chatting, fishing with you. Uh, extremely authentic but detailed in terms of how you go about targeting the fish that you do. If you want more information from Lee, head to fishingedge.com.au. Lee Rayner, our special guest on Real Adventures this morning. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for Red's Tip. We don't have much time. What have you got for no, us? No, we don't. But cold, miserable outside at times during these winter months. Some beautiful days out there during the day. Nice and warm. But I just said nice and warm. That's a complete lie. It's still freezing during the middle of the day. <laughs> but if you are bored at home, head up to your local tackle store yep. or even contact, to be honest with you, I'm 30 years old. So we'll say an old man, my old man, for instance, quite often they will have sinker molds. And just kick back with a nice stubby, put a barbie on or a lamb roast and make sinkers for the day. 
Do it safely though, because I actually can't stand the smell of it. It is a horrible yeah, smell. Make sure you yep. wear a mask, and we all got masks these days, Pat. <laughs> so make sure you wear a mask while you're doing it, because it is horrid. I've got people that don't, and they've lost the plot. But uh, it's make some sinkers. They're too expensive to buy. They are. Like yep. if you want to say a ten ounce sinker, you can be up to like four bucks a sinker, and you can lose a lot of sinkers very quickly. And it's a good activity to do at home. Like it is. Said. Get the kids into it so they get sick. I mean... <laughs> no. Do not <laughs> let the kids, kids near molten lead. Okay, well, don't do that. But put the lamb spit on and have a couple of beers and make some uh, make some sinkers during those wet Sundays because it will say... When the summer comes along for us here in Victoria, you'll be kitted out for those big kingfish dropping sinkers down. You've got yep. marlin. You've also got your gummies and whiting. You'll be kitted out, ready to go. And it's not going to... Every time you call into the tackle store and you grab a handful and it costs you 12 bucks, it bloody adds up like it yep. over the 100%. summer. So making sinkers is a great thing to do this time of the year. Beautiful work, Redmond. That is Red's tips. Time for the flying gaff. And I was in Geelong the other day walking along Eastern Beach and I saw a jet ski out and he wasn't having fun. He was, well, he was having fun, but he was, he was fishing. And, and we've reviewed jet skis previously on this show and there is a place for jet skis fishing. It's just not in Victoria or South Australia or Tasmania uh, in the middle of winter because I haven't seen... Did, a he have a wet, did he have a wetsuit on? He actually did. He had a wetsuit and a jacket. I haven't, I haven't seen a sorrier looking human because he had a wet ski. Uh, wet ski. <laughs> he had a... You've been good today. Yeah, I've, I've actually had a shocker today. It, this might be my I, worst show. I like it. He had a wetsuit, a jacket, and it looked like Bog's gumboots, but they were the really small ones. So it was only the bottom end of his foot. It didn't go halfway up his calf. So and I honestly we looked at him. Like, because every other time I see someone in a jet ski, I'm like, man, that guy's having fun. And I saw him and I thought... That just looks crap. Did you see him catch anything? No, he had his hood on, so you couldn't see it. And now he's there flicking into the... Um, I mean, good on him, but he's there flicking into, like, around the, the moorings. Pontoons and that, yeah. Yeah, and it just... It didn't look just fun. didn't inspire me to think, you know what? But my, what about if you My next a, purchase is going to be a jet ski to fish. But what about day. if you see a fella in a kayak doing it? Because there's hundreds of them out. Well, my argument would be a kayak is going to cost you a few hundred bucks depending <laughs> on where you go versus a jet ski is going to cost you 15 grand. More. Exactly. Some of those skis are like 40 grand. So this week's flying gaff goes to those fishing in winter in a jet ski. That's, why you, that's why you buy a boat. I accepted it. That's why you buy a kayak. I'm going fishing. It's time to go fishing. <laughs> Thanks for your company this morning. I promise we'll be better because there was some rubbish today. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.